Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Today on our show, I'm pleased to introduce you to John Weiss. John is a native of New York City who studied journalism at the University of Arizona. Upon his return to New York, he joined an advertising agency, became a successful award-winning copywriter, and he developed marketing skills that led him to becoming an independent consultant. In John's spare time, he dabbled as a toy inventor and developed two product lines that met with tremendous success. Then, after a long bout with cancer, John had afterlife experiences, which I'm anxious to hear about in this interview. John Weiss is the author of The Afterlife is to Die For, Amazing Possibilities Await Us All, and his website is afterlifeblog.com. John Weiss, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. I'm very happy to be here. Me too. Just smiling, listening to your uh, bio as I read it. I'm thinking, you know, you've really been through a lot. Um, And then you said that a toy inventor. I'm like, wow, who is this guy? Um, and and thankfully, John, you and I haven't spoken too much um, as friends before this, so I get to hear your story fresh as along with the listener. So thanks for being Good. here. Good. And you who's listening at home, thank you for being here. Uh, John, tell us a little bit about you. You're in New York City right now. I'm in New York City right now. Mm-hmm. And um, what I have been doing a lot other than playing with my new little granddaughter. Oh, fun. I'm actually very, very hooked on her. Um, I make leather goods, and I sell them. And um, I have been working on, you know, marketing my book. Right. It's hard because I would like Because I would like to get as many people out there to um, learn about it and learn what happened to me. Yeah. Thing is that I, I hardly even believe what happened to me anyway. Well, I'm but looking that, forward to hearing it because I think it's something pretty big by looking at your website um, and pretty unique. It's very strange. Let me put it that way. <laughs> oh, well, what, what, why don't you take us through it a little bit? I mean, you. I mean, I read in your bio that uh, you became an in- independent consultant. And um, can I ask what toys you invented? Anything we've known? Yes. Of? I don't know if you'd know about them. Um, one thing I invented, uh, it was for a toy company that's out of business. Actually, most toy companies are going in and out of business all the time. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was a company called Galoob that became part of Hasbro. And I invented miniature gliders because I have <clears throat> a background in model airplanes. So I figured out how to make a little glider almost the size of your thumbnail, and it will fly all around the room. So they they bought it for me. Then I invented another toy, and my agent told me that if there's any way I could start a company, um, I should do that because it could be very successful, and why just get royalties from a company? Because they really... The big toy companies pay you very little uh, when they get your toy. So my brother um, wanted to get out of real estate. He funded the company, and we came out with a toy. 
the toy is called treads. And basically what it is, is a ball where the whole outside of it is sneaker treads. Um, that had never been done before. And it made the ball extremely easy to throw and to catch. And we made them everywhere from baseball size up to playground size. And what we didn't realize was how easy it was for tiny, tiny kids to catch it. So um, that caught on, no pun intended. (laughs) And we got it written up in Parenting Magazine, everything, all over the place. Oh, that's great. Then we realized we were getting letters that the balls were being shredded by people's dogs. Oh, no. So we, yes, dogs will go after any kind of a ball they see. And they and like our ball was <laughs> Yes. Our ball was very light rubber because we wanted to be safe for kids. Right. So we came out with a, um, an extra line called Treads Fetch. And it was dog toys. Oh, and we formulate, we used a, uh, a much heavier, stronger rubber, came out with the same balls, and the dogs couldn't ruin the balls. And um, that became a very big seller. Um, when we came out with a football, um, we were, our football was taken in by the Museum of Modern Art. Wow. And they displayed our ball because of the design, which really flabbergasted us. While we were doing all of that, and the balls were selling around the world, um, I invented another kind of a ball called a pump ball. And this ball would lay as a flat piece of rubber in your hand. And there was a little pump on the side of it, like, you know, years ago, those sneakers used to yeah. bump up. Well, this had that same kind of a bump. And we were able to get a patent for it. And a kid could take a ball to school in his backpack or his lunchbox or even in his pocket, pump it up, and have a great ball, play around with it, and deflate it. Oh, how um, great. We did TV commercials for mm-hmm. it. We took it to Toy Fair, and we sold more than we could have ever dreamt of. Then, and, you know, we had them on display, and they were pre-production prototypes. They worked beautifully. Then they were shipped from China, which was the only place that could make it, and none of them worked. Oh, my gosh. I didn't see that coming. Oh, no. We didn't see it coming. It put us out of business. Oh. We we lost millions of bucks. Yeah. So I learned my lesson with that one. Oh, don't you hate learning yeah. some lessons? Yes. Yes. Then would. if you, you know, and I, I'm just being mindful of our listener here because I want to go on and sure. find out more about it. But our show is about, well death or we don't die and i'm thinking although my company died yeah exactly (laughs) um well yeah and then from there you developed cancer was that after or during is it it sounds like you went through a really tough time between business well yeah it was well after well after 
I was with another company. I was a marketing director of a company in Florida. And um, you know, I started getting pains in my stomach. And um, I, I didn't, I had no idea what, what it was. I figured it was all the, the Cuban food I was eating down there. Mm-hmm. Sure. Spicy. Very spicy, great. And I was living on this stuff. And, um, you know, I went to a quote-unquote Florida doctor who said there was nothing wrong with me. It was just the food. So finally, um, after about a year, I came back to the city, and I was very weak. And I went to my doctor, and he gave me all kinds of tests and blood tests. And he said to me, I hate to tell you, but you have cancer. And we don't know where. We now have to scope you all over the place. So I I found out that I had um, very, very advanced cancer. Wow. And this was this was in 2006. So I had all kinds of surgeries. It was pretty bad. It took me, well, I went from 170 pounds to just about 90 pounds. Oh, my gosh. You know, and I turned, like, greenish blue. So I, I looked like an alien. Wow. Um. But I was able to um, beat it. And I took, I was, for a long time, I was in chemotherapy. And while I was in chemotherapy, I learned how to meditate. And um, I became really good at it. And I could just lose myself in it during the day when I'm sitting in that chair. You know, that's when when they put the uh, the poison in you. Mm Mm-hmm. And I did it every single day for a long time. And when everything was all better, I was in the habit of the meditating, so I continued meditating. Great. And I loved it. You know, completely put me in another world. Yes. You know, nothing paranormal, but I would lose, I would lose time and everything like that. It was just utter, utter peacefulness. Mm-hmm. Then, years later, in 2011, I was reading a book before I went to sleep, and I read a lot of books on World War II because I'm fascinated by it. And I was reading a book on Iwo Jima, which was a major uh, Pacific battle. Uh And um, after reading the book, I meditated, and I meditated myself to sleep. And the following day, I remembered that I had had an incredible dream, unlike anything I'd ever dreamt before, that um, I was actually in the battle, on the beach, in a crater, um, next to a soldier who I spoke to. And it was fascinating. It was very scary. And unlike other dreams, I could smell. And... You know, I smelled everything around me, the uh, machinery burning, the gunpowder, I mean, every anything you can imagine. That's wild. And, yeah, it was very wild. And um, I thought about that, the, you know, the following afternoon, nothing much about it. The same, that night, I um, continued reading my book, 
um, meditated, fell asleep, and I woke up in the same dream. Only this time, I was still on Iwo Jima. I was in the same spot. And um, I realized that I was dreaming while, while I was dreaming. And I went along with it. And this guy next to me, whose name was Lyle, started talking to me. And he told me I'm not dreaming. So my first inclination was to, I have a very bad mouth. <laughs> I cursed at him and I said, you're just me. And I met another soldier who got killed next to me. Mm. And this guy said, pick up his gun and start shooting. So I figured, hey, this is going to be a lot of fun. I picked up the guy's gun, which was a machine gun. And I started shooting. I mean, I was, it was morbid, but I was having a good time. And then I woke up. But I woke up right in the middle of the dream, and that's all I could think about. Mm -hmm. Then I thought, how can I, how can I dream the same thing twice? Um, and so I didn't think anything more of it. Well, the next night, Excuse me for clearing my throat. I have an allergy of all things. No, it's okay. I'm suffering a little bit too, so I have a mute button I keep pressing. <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't. <laughs> You'll have to edit this out. Yeah, that's all right. So, um, the next night, I didn't read the Ewell book. I didn't read anything. And I woke up in another dream. And in this one, I didn't know where I was. I was sitting on ice-cold metal. There were terrible noises. The thing was buzzing and rattling and all different things. And then I see this soldier, Lyle, come walking over. He was from my last dream mm -hmm. and sit down next to me. And he says, you know where you are? I said, of course I don't know where I am. He said, well, you should know because you've read all about this. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And he said, you're on a flying fortress. You're going over the, in, over the English Channel, and we're going to bomb Germany. It's another World War II thing. Mm -hmm. he, said, he said, you've read all about warplanes. You've built models of them. You've watched all the movies, so you can take all that together, and with your imagination, you're here, and you can, you can enjoy it all. So I said, well, how do you know all this about me? Then I said, oh, why do I know? You are me, and I'm talking to myself. And he said, oh, no, I'm not you, but we'll talk about it sometime. So I said, let's talk about it now. And he said, no, let's just enjoy what, what's going on here. He said, we'll have more of a chance. So I'm thinking at that, about that point that I'm, there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And I'm hallucinating. And maybe some medication I'm taking is bad. Maybe someone played a joke on me, put drugs into something. It started to bother me an awful lot. And the next afternoon, I was at my parents' house. And my mother gave me a shoebox of old, old, old pictures of where I grew up, up in Purchase, New York. So I was looking at them at night. I had them on my bed. I 
meditated, fell asleep. And I remember lying there and I felt very warm and itchy. And there was something crawling on my forehead. I woke up with a real start, took a, a big bug off my forehead, and realized I was lying on the ground in my old backyard. And it was very, very, very freaky. At one point, I, you know, I was scared. But I figured, all right, I'm in another one of these impossible dreams. I'll get up and I'll walk around. Mm-hmm. And I saw my old home, which no longer exists. I saw everything that I grew up with as a kid in the backyard. And as I was going towards the side of the yard, I hear a squeaking noise. And it's my own, my old jungle gym. And sitting on the swing was Lyle, the same guy. Wow. And it actually got me very angry that here I am in a place that I loved more than anything else, and here's this guy. Um, and I remember screaming at him. I said, go away. This is a very special place for me. And he said to me, if you want me to go away, I will. And you can explore until you wake up, but you'll never see me again, and you'll never dream like this again. He said, but if you promise um, to let me see you again, we'll take the next step. I said, what's the next step? He says, I'll tell you what's going on. And I said, fine. What, laughing, because I knew none. Of, I knew that whatever this was was some kind of a crazy dream that I definitely had something wrong with me. Oh yeah, some but, figment of your imagination somehow. Yeah. Yeah, but something I thought I had a maybe I had had a stroke or or something. I didn't know what was going on. So I spent the rest of the time exploring, and after that, for several weeks. I meditated every night. He got me, and I met his girlfriend, which is a crazy, crazy story. And I was taken to places all over the world and in the past, and I was, expl- I was taught every- about the afterlife, that I had entered the afterlife through a quirk which they very carefully described to me how it was done and that they could get me back whenever I wanted to get back. And I learned, I mean, the damnedest stuff while I was there. They took one week where they said that I couldn't come back, but they gave me an assignment and that was go to the bookstore and I had to read a book on quantum mechanics and I had to read a book on paranormal studies. They said, pick out the simplest ones. And I, of course, complained about the paranormal. I said, I'm not reading this. Well, I'm, I'm not going to use the word because I'm on radio. But it begins with S. <laughs> and I said, I, you know, I said, that, that's really a lot of crap. I said, I'm not. He said, read it. Read this stuff. So I figured, all right, 
this is all crazy. I don't really know what that what's going on. So I read the uh, the very beginner's quantum book, and um, I had always heard I knew something about quantum physics, but very little. Mm-hmm. And um, I was blown away by it, completely, totally blown away. Even though you couldn't understand half of what they were saying, right? It was it was fascinating that this stuff was actually true, because it sounds like science fiction, right? What um, you mean? I then, with complete embarrassment, walked into the paranormal section. This was at, <laughs> board, at Borders Books, which doesn't exist anymore, but they had a huge metaphysical blah blah blah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Or everything that I thought was hysterical, you know, ridiculous. So I found a book that, that didn't look that horrible, didn't have, you know, hands appearing out of the cover and all of the junk that I figured they would be in it. <laughs> and I read it, and I was laughing. I thought it was very funny. But one thing I realized is that they kept on coming back to consciousness and quantum theory. Wow. So I saw that quantum theory and paranormal studies are strongly linked. And that, you know, I was the worst skeptic in the world. But I thought, well, you know, if something is happening to me here, um, this is kind of proving certain things to me because I learned an awful lot from this. Then, finally, when I got back there, I discussed this with Lyle and Betty, and um, they then said that with this quantum background, they would tell me how I got there and how life was formed in the very beginning. And I learned a, um, an incredible new biological science that... Um, you know, I, of course, could have never heard of it before, nor no one in the world has heard of it. And I, of course, I didn't believe any of it. Right. Because all along, with everything they were telling me, I said, I still think that I'm imagining all of this. I'm going along with it, but I don't think any of this is real. I think there's something seriously wrong with me. And they said, these were very, very nice understanding people. And they said, we completely understand, but we're going to try and show you how this is all true. What, you know, we're trying to figure out a way. So I said, well, you know, let me wake up in the morning with a blade of grass in my hand from where we go, or a flower, or even a pebble. They said, it's impossible to do, because you can't, you can't transfer anything over. So I figured, oh, all right, well, that, that helps my skepticism. And they said, well, you have to think about it. It's... You can't bring things back and forth, because if you could, everyone would know about this. I said, well, how many people know about this? They said, thousands of people know about the afterlife. They said, it's a very common thing. I said, well, the only times I've heard about it is from, like, lunatics. They said, yeah, unfortunately so, because a lot of people who talk about it and believe in it are. And they also said, Many, many people who talk about it are frauds. Yes. Just like, just like palm readers. They said, you know, there are palm readers who are for real, and we're going to tell you all about that. But most of them are fraud. 
that because if there's any way of making money from anything, people will do it. And anything that's strange and mysterious, people love. They said, like, all this flying saucer stuff people talk about. And they told me that that's not real at all. So, um, and I said, how do you, you know, they said, how do you know it's not real? And also, how do you know what's on my mind before I even talk about it? And then they got very thick into quantum theory and what they are capable of doing. And what I am not capable of doing, doing as a living human being. And as I learned, the afterlife is just a very simple extension of life. There's no big deal about it at all. It's supposed to be there, just like life is supposed to be there. Hmm. And there's nothing, nothing strange or mysterious at all. It's just a ramification of quantum mechanics. Because matter doesn't die, it may shift into something else. Right. You know, and we're, we're all made from the same matter that came from initially from the Big Bang. Then they, the, the other thing they told me that, um, and when I talk about this to people, like I get raised eyebrows and it's sort of like, oh, all right, we were waiting for this. You know, now we can punch holes in you. The, the ability to be able to go into the afterlife and for, af- and for the li- life itself is all based on something that they call a particle bundle. And I can explain later, if you remind me, how they came up with that word for it. Okay. What, what it is, is four primary um, particles. And these are the most basic particles in the universe that are, you know, infinitely small. There are four particles that are fused together um, by, they said, some cataclysmic force, which was the Big Bang. Now, these four fundamental particles have a, a core in them. And I'll explain what happens with that. And, of course, we're talking about something that could never, ever, ever, ever be seen. Right. Even, even, with a, even through a collider, you couldn't see it. By the way, I'm picking up an echo. Well, you sound good on this end, so we're going to okay. keep going. Okay, I'll, go, I'll keep going. Um, when you're born... Um, there is a particle bundle within you. Now, that doesn't mean anything because when you're born, there are already trillions and trillions of particles that you could have a million particle bundles and it wouldn't make any difference. But it's in you somewhere, um, completely inactive. And it stays in you as you grow But when you get into, like, the late seven months of being a woman being pregnant, the particle bundle is activated by the brain. Not consciously, it just happens. Because the brain is at a developmental point, and the electric nature of it um, ignites the particle bundle. And what the particle bundle does 
is is basically a quantum computer. It records, and it records every single thing you do from before you're born until you die. Um, it records everything in in it, photographically in all dimensions. Everything you see, hear, taste, smell, and more. Because our abilities, our senses, are very limited. Yes, they are. That I know. Which all changes when you go into the afterlife. Because all the abilities are there. You're, you're unchained when you're there. Um, so this particle bundle is there. Now, your brain controls what the particle bundle can and can't do. In other words, your, your brain will stop the particle bundle. It, uh, it'll, it'll stop it from allowing you to have any kind of paranormal abilities. Because if, there were, if the brain didn't restrain it, we would never have a civilization. We probably would have either killed each other a long time ago or we would have gotten nowhere because we would have been too smart, too capable, and lost in our own dreams. So that's the particle bundle. So the particle bundle is filled with, it's everything you are, all of your memories. And memory is the key to the afterlife because that's all you take with you. Hmm, okay. Nothing that makes more. Sense. That makes sense. When you when you die, um, and you're you have complete brain death, no more electricity, um, no more electrical impulses. The particle bundle is set free, and it does something called quantum tunneling, and it goes a distance that's unimaginably short until it's in a indistinguishable kind of like a dimension. You're really, really here. When the particle bundle um, goes goes through this uh, this quantum um, channeling, it is hit, it is bombarded by photons. Even if you have passed away in complete darkness, there is no such a thing as complete darkness until you get into very deep space. And even there, there's light. Um, Your particle bundle has the ability to remember sight, and it reacts to the light. So your consciousness is there, and you see a very bright light as your timeline, which starts to sound like an NDE. Right. Now, a lot of people claim to see loved ones and different things like that. Well, that's very true because those are your dearest memories and your memories are beginning to fire up like crazy because that's all you are, our memories. Now, remember I mentioned that there was a core in the particle bundle? Yes. The core 
emanates a, a vibration. And they call it a signature vibration. The vibration has a frequency of its own. And it's like your fingerprints or your DNA. No two signature vibrations are the same. And since that vibration has been there for as long as you've been, as long as your bundle has been activated, your loved ones all know where you are at all times. So they can visit you. Um, they can watch over your life. They can't have any effect on you, but they can watch over your life. Um, you, can't, of course, can't hear them because your brain doesn't allow it. Now, let me get a little bit back into the brain. The luckiest people are people who have brain malfunctions. You know, they say that um, creative people have a little bit of savantism in them. Yes. Now, that comes from uh, a disruption partially of the left, your left lobe. Um, it's canceling out some of the logic or whatever. And you can have certain abilities. Cre creativity is an ability. Now, the farther you go into savantism, it starts at mild and then it goes to profound. Profound savants are the ones who can do the most amazing things anyone has ever seen. I don't know if you've read about them. No, not too much. You know, child savants can listen to a, um, a Beethoven symphony and having never played a piano, go and play it from beginning to end. That's incredible. They can sculpt in bronze the most incredible-looking animals. They can do. They can paint like the most fantastic masterpieces. Um, they're 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 living all over the world. There, people love to document them. Like the movie Rain Man was about one. Yes. Yes. He's, he's one of the most profound ones. Now, with, when you have your profound savants, they're dysfunctional people. They appear retarded. That's what they used to call them idiot savants. They realized that was very politically incorrect, so they just called savants. Hmm. So they may be able to do nothing well, but they, where, wherever their ability is, it's, it's beyond amazing. In fact, it's impossible what they're, what they're able to do. Kim Peek, who is the guy about Rain Man, who was the guy who was played by, um, who was it? I think it was yeah, Dustin, Dustin, Dustin Hoffman. Hoffman yeah. They would take um, a box of wooden matches, throw all of them all the way up in the air, and he would have counted all of them by the time they hit the ground. Holy cow. He would read books by reading the left-hand page and the right-hand page simultaneously. The left with one eye, the right with the other eye. Um, they do the most unbelievable things. And as I learned, 
This is because they have various forms of brain dysfunction, which is which you know allows the um, quantum bundle to operate a little a, a little bit better, and it can go on and off. Now, you know there are a lot of people who people think they're crazy when you see someone who's saying they're they're hearing voices. They're swatting imaginary flies. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with them because they're really experiencing that. And not all of them, of course. But if they have been hit in the head, even mildly, to cause them this uh, uh, dysfunction, they are um, allowing more that more to come forth from their particle bundle. That's why some people... Um, and of course, it's maybe one in a trillion can actually bend spoons. But just about all of them, um, you know, like Yuri Geller are frauds. But the ability is there. Um, the ability to levitate things is there. Only it's ridiculously, you know, um, limited. And the people generally who have those abilities don't use them to make money because they realize how special they are. Right. You know, in Manhattan, I swear to God, you go down, any block you go go down, there are at least one or two psychic parlors. They're everywhere. They are. Because so many people believe in this. They're all over the place. But um, getting back to the particle bundle, um, and, and savants. So Einstein was a savant. Um, Thomas Jefferson, Niels Bohr, Hitler was a savant. Um, Beethoven. And if you read about savantism in, in books today, you'll read the most incredible people you never thought of were savants. So according to what Lyle and Betty told me, savants are responsible for civilization. Because all good things, different forms of governments, and bad things, by the way, have come from savants, but more good than bad. Hitler was a savant. And um, they said that his abilities, his savant abilities, were in a way he could talk and manipulate people. But he was a complete genius in doing that. Um, So... That's what the particle bundle is about. Now, one thing I mentioned in my book and that people ask me about, you know, before all of this stuff happened to me, not only was I a skeptic, and I'm embarrassed about what kind of a skeptic I was. <laughs> and I didn't believe, I didn't believe in anything. And I thought that anyone who believed in any of this stuff was crazy that people would actually believe that someone could read their palm or oh, that right. any of this stuff was the slightest possible. Yeah. You know? I'm very much like you, John. I'd go through a bookstore and see the New Age metaphysical section, and I thought these mm-hmm. poor people need to get a life. You know, yeah. They're just grabbing yeah. at straws, hoping to believe in something where none of it's real. So that's why you and I make the perfect messengers, because... <laughs> Yeah. We, right. we started yeah. believing it, yeah, for good reason. And, and I was a terrible skeptic throughout 
basically all of my visits there. And they were very nice about it because they totally understood. But then I was also an atheist. Hmm. I mean, I believed in nothing. You know, my parents kept religion away from me. They did not want me to be religious. They, they didn't believe in God or anything. And they believe we were born and we die. We turn to dust and that's that. It's like anything else. They said there's no such a thing as religion. They said that religion is very harmful to people because it's controlling. Excuse me for a second. <clears throat> so um, they tried to brainwash me because the two of them were mildly religious but not really religious. Mm-hmm. And they said that I... They wanted me to learn more about why I shouldn't be an atheist. And I fought them and really fought them. But they kept on bringing, like they would take me to very holy parts of the world and teach me about things that went on, you know, in Christ's time right. and all of these different things. And I would say to them, I don't want to hear any of this stuff, please. And then they said to me, well, what do you think of the particle bundle? So I said, well, it's a great little scientific tool, basically, that enables life. I said, that, and that supports atheism. Said, it's a science, this is a scientific reality. This is a little tool, a, a little mechanism, and it's responsible for all of this. And they said, yeah, you're right. However the particle bundles were created at the time of the Big Bang. And their only practicality is for life. So they knew about life at the Big Bang? And I said, well, I I don't know. know, You're you're confusing me. And they said, well, think. Particle bundles allow life to go on, allow for the afterlife. And they were formed when the universe was formed. He said, so, you don't have to believe in God. We just want you to believe in a creator. That there is a cosmic intelligence out there that's responsible for, you know, basically everything. Because if they're responsible for the particle bundle, which is a little miracle thing, which didn't evolve from anything, it was just there. Then I started weakening. I'll put it that way. Uh-huh. And um, I went so far as to believe that, you know, maybe there is something to it. Not, uh, I'm not, I don't believe there's, you know, a guy in the clouds in a white robe who answers prayers right. or who doesn't. But, Something intelligent um, created these things. This is no coincidence. John, can I ask you, when you had these experiences, were they as real? You know, because some dreams you can kind of remember. Are these the kinds that you woke up and you just, like, they were so real, like any day you've ever had? Was it like that? They were... They were ruining my life. Yeah, they were real then. Really real, real. Well, I knew that I was dreaming. I knew that when I went to sleep, I was going to be. 
I didn't know where they were going to be taking me. Mm. But I knew all of that. Um, I finally, you know, I, I mean, I realized I wasn't getting any work done. I lost clients. Oh, sure. Yeah. And um, all I could do was think about it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't wait to get to sleep the next night to go there. And um, I was infatuated with it. And I, I was the one, and they agreed who stopped going. In fact, I stopped uh, meditating. Because I knew that if I didn't meditate, they couldn't get me. Oh. Now, I asked them, um, you know, was this, was this like winning a lottery, getting this? And they said, well, the odds were even worse than winning a lottery. And I said, well, how, how did this happen? <clears throat> Sorry. It's okay. They said that, as they explained to me earlier, all you bring to the afterlife are your memories. And they're so vivid that they're real life. And you, since you can remember how to see, you can see. Since you remembered how to eat, you can eat. Since you remember what food is, you can create it in your mind. And you have to read my book to, read, to see this stuff. You can go out to dinner in the afterlife. Oh, that's fine. In your mind. <laughs> okay. In your mind. In fact, I'm not even going to go into a lot of stuff that they do because there's stuff that they didn't put in my book because I thought that people may not want to hear that. Okay. But, we have about 10 minutes left, so I just want to be mindful of time oh, okay. here. Um, All right. I'll, ex- I'll be very quick about this. Not and then that- I'll tell you, um, they, uh, they said that they're, just like there are here, there are affinity groups. There are people who have very, very strong memories about things, and they get together and they recreate part of something that happened in their lives. I was in an Iwo Jima creation, recreation, Hmm. and Lyle picked up my signature vibration that there was someone else here who shouldn't be here, and he he joined my vibration to his, which is what you do when you meld memories. And all of a sudden, I was there with him and this other guy because they were there together um, to experience something that had happened to one of them. And I, when I was on the mission in the airplane, that was an affinity group. And they have affinity groups for anything and everything that goes on in life. There are food groups, reading groups, movie groups, you name it. Wow. That's what they do in the afterlife. And that you can create anything you want out of your imagination. They built, they had me, they showed me how to build a car. It was done out in Colorado in the mountain roads. And I, I, right now I have goosebumps thinking about what I was able to do. And they pulled it out of my mind. And since it was my imagination working, I actually had a car that I could get in, start the motor, and drive like a maniac. And that car is a very important part of the ending of the, um, the book. 
I'm really excited to read it because... And that car is waiting for me. Oh, yeah. It's, they promise. It's there. So I have that to think about. Now, oh. what I said to them was, you know, if everyone knew this, people would just slit their wrists. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, a lot of people have. You know, it's sort of frowned upon, but people do it. They said, but people have also been told that the more wonderful memories that you bring with you and the more people you can meet, the better your afterlife is going to be. I like that. Now, the afterlife is not eternal. You're there for roughly 140 years, and then that's that. Okay. Then what? And oh, my, okay. This is all, no one knows. This is no one all knows. so new to me, but so many well, things let me, are... Can I get into that for yeah. a second? Okay. One thing I've learned since my experiences and looking at other books, no one's afterlife experience is the same. Your experience is based on what you believe, what you want to believe, and who is in control of you when you go there. Because someone has to be in control of you if you're still alive to enable you to do anything there. Now, if you look at the book, which I read, called Heaven is for Real. Yes, I know that book. It's 100% different from anything I had. Right. Now, this was a very religious little kid from a very religious family. And his afterlife, he saw Jesus, Moses, he saw everyone from his, his um, learnings. Right. Um, if I had been like that, I may have learned the same things. Now, in my early days of learning about this, I met someone over the Internet because I was trying to get my book onto sites. And this, I forget the guy's name. He was a doctor. And he said, this sounds very interesting. He says, I'm going to read your book. So, and this is all done over the email. He called me the worst things you could ever call anyone. That I was the worst liar, fraud, and, and I, shouldn't, I should be banned from this genre. And I, of course, was very startled. And I said, what? He said, you never went to the afterlife. He said, people who have say specific things about it. I said, oh, you're going to tell me that I wasn't in the afterlife, but you're going to believe someone else's? Right. So I started realizing that there are so many wonderful books out there. You know, I don't know how many are real or aren't real. And I learned, you know, forgetting my skepticism, some of the stuff I saw there was really weird but it really happened to me. So I have to give the benefit of the doubt to any of these books that, yeah, these people really did experience something incredible. Yeah. As for as many people there are, even if I were to explain what life is like, someone else would have a different story. So Mm -hmm. I think afterlife would be the same. And then there's a book called Proof of Heaven by Dr. Mm -hmm. Eben Alexander. He's got some weird stuff in his book, too. You know, they're all going to have weird. Yeah. So, you know, to me, it's all proof that we do go on and we just have different experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all very comforting to know um, 
and if we can, just in the last few minutes that we have, your yeah. subtitle, well, first of all, the name of your book is The Afterlife is to Die For, Amazing yeah. Possibilities Await Us All. And again, your website is afterlifeblog.com. John Weiss is this great person's name that we're talking to right now. But the amazing possibilities that await us all. So for those 140 years, it, mm-hmm. it sounds to me like it, it, we can create whatever we want. We're with we, people. We, we, we are with people, and they're no difference up there than they are. I say up there because it's more, it's right here. Yes, right. yes, that's how I feel too, in the invisible space it's, it's vibrating invisible, around us. But they're all over you, and they're in your head because that's one of the ways they experience things. They wow. can't affect you, but they're all over the place. It's called particle alignment, bundle alignment. Because you can you can align with someone else's bundle in their body. You know, no, John, I just took a course in mediumship in the UK. In fact, mm-hmm. that'll be my next episode. The one after yours will be my discussing what happened. And mm-hmm. beyond a shadow of a doubt, over and over and over, I experienced miraculous things. And one of the explanations is that those folks, let's call it in the hereafter, are mm-hmm. trying to ch- change their vibration to meet up with us. And by going into like a meditative state, mm-hmm. we, you know, I'm trying to blend my energy with them. And just from what you're saying now about the particle alignment and the particle bundle, I'm I like, I can't wait to read your book right now. I'm going on vacation, yeah, so I'm going to. Take it's it with all, me on Kindle. <laughs> but I yeah, think this it's is fascinating. It's, it's making sense why some of this, you know, if you want to call it paranormal or metaphysical or mm-hmm. whatever, but like why it works. Yeah. And you know who's the leading authority on it now? No. Einstein. Really? <clears throat> His affinity group in the afterlife, which is made up of the most profound scientific minds over the last 140 years study this. That's where they came up with particle bundles, particle alignment, and all of this stuff. Because it used to be the afterlife was just like here. They didn't know where anything came from. They didn't know what was going on. Hmm. They were there. Now some people have put reason to it. So it's no different there than it is here. Jeez. Oh, John Weiss, thank you. Our time's coming to an end. I don't want to cut you off, but do you have any closing words? Because life can be tough sometimes. And, um, yeah, any any tip for living now, knowing what you know? Meet as many people as you can. Learn what they're all about. Accept, Accept these people and just gain great memories. The best, the better the memories, the better you're going to be in the afterlife. And just, you know, if you're grieving for someone, realize, and, and as I put in one of my tweets, that your deceased loved ones are grieving for you because you're, in, you're living. And the other thing is, is that don't worry, you're not going to hell because there is no hell. That's good news. There's no heaven either. 
but you'd swear that the afterlife was happening. Mm. Because if you want it to be, it will be happening. It definitely will be happening. Oh, it's amazing. John, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. No, thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's, you know, I just, I love learning new things, and, and this is so out of anything I've learned. Uh, it's it's eye-opening, it's exciting, um, and I, I am excited about getting your book. And once again, for our listener, his website is afterlifeblog.com, and the name of John Weiss's book is The Afterlife is to Die For. Amazing possibilities await us all. You've really left me, John, on the edge of my seat with, <laughs> I, I, I want to know more. What a great, great... Now, I want to know more about your mediumship. Oh, well, we'll talk. Um, okay, yeah, we'll good. definitely keep in touch after this because it's, oh, it's all very exciting. And for our listener, I want to thank you for spending this past hour with us. I hope you've found it of value. And it really has been pretty wild. I'm sure, John, before this journey, you probably never thought you'd be telling a story like this in your life. Um, I, I would have thought anyone who thought I would would be crazy. Yeah, I agree. Me too. I was afraid. Oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I'm the same Sandra. Well, I know I'm different, but it, it just that I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, but anyways, thank you all for being here today. Um, I want to remind everybody, you can go to wedontdieradio.com and find out more about John Weiss. He is episode number 99. So I have his picture there and links to his website and to his book. And what else do I want to tell you? Just my mind is blown. I want to thank everybody for being here. Um, in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. And I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So I'm going to take John's challenge and meet as many people as I can, have new experiences, because, um, yeah, I want to take that with me. Uh, so thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.